Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Well, we are um, going to um, continue a little bit into um, our sermon series and the Sermon on the Mount, um, but we're going to be doing it a little bit differently, and hopefully it works well. The last time I did something like this, um, I... Um, Oh, it was, a, it was a while ago, um, and we'll see how it goes. But I'm going to start off just with Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34, um, which says this, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant or a new relationship with people um, of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that one. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But in this new covenant, I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. That's a great scripture, isn't it? Imagine living in that kind of paradigm in those kind of days. Well, the thing is we're supposed to right now. We are now living in a Jeremiah 31 kind of day. Anyone else? I reckon we're getting there. I don't think we're there yet. I reckon we're going to get there. Well, if you are new to um, New Spring Church, welcome. It's great to have all of us here with our beautiful children as well. Um, but we have been in a um, sermon series, which we're continuing for the, most of this year, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're unfamiliar, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus. It's a catalogue of Jesus' um, teachings found in Matthew chapter 5 and to uh, Matthew chapter 7. And um, the main portion of this scripture actually comes out of this significant verse in Matthew 5 verse 17, which says this, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've, come to, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And as I've done in the last couple of weeks, um, just to explain that, I'm going to show a video and then we're going to go into it and we're going to do a bit of an object lesson, which I hope doesn't get too messy. But how about you check out this video and then we'll lead into the message, and I might get some help from the kids as well. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first ten. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law, because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family. 
who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws, they're about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, no, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention, because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. If don't worship other gods, don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws. And then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion, and you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah, to their new home, and he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new, transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land, they break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's commands wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah, he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem, and in his words, to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there, to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command, that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus, so he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others. And he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. 
And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. Brilliant. So we are in this incredible story of God, a story where God is actually making a brand new people, um, where he identifies that all of us have this really big issue. The issue is our heart. We've all got hearts that need a transformation, and that's what Jesus actually comes to um, fix and actually um, transform us so we can be a different kind of people. And what's really interesting is that the way that we live is supposed to tell the world what God's like. So if we do this well, people are going to actually know what God's like. Well, this week I got a bit of an email from one of my friends and um, um, he was talking about one of his friends. And um, I didn't want to put um, her picture or anything up because that would be a bit rude. So um, I thought I might just put a silhouette of this person up on the screen. Her name's Bobby. <coughs> Have you got any Bobbies here? No? Not a popular name. <laughs> but um, so, so one of my... Um, my friend actually um, just sent me this and says, um, just sent me an email and said this. Hi Dave, I have a friend who I'm a bit worried about. Um, I like being around her um, as a friend, though I'm not too sure how much longer I can really hang around her. She's basically really mean in the way she talks. Has anyone ever like sort of heard someone who's really mean with their words? Really, like really mean? The thing is with Bobby, he was saying, not only is she mean, but she laughs about it. She thinks it's really funny. Um, have you ever met someone like that? I've met a couple of people like that. They say mean stuff and then they, they actually think they're being funny. He goes on and says, um, she's always trying to show people how much better she is than them. And some people hang around her, but most people don't like hanging around her. I think I've met someone like that as well. Um, she laughs and mucks around all the time. Um, but my friend actually was so observant, actually said this, she, she laughs and she mucks around with lots of people, but I've actually noticed that there are times when no one's looking that she'll actually go sit by herself and she's just really, looks really, really, really sad. Um, he goes on and says, I've got some really good friends in my life and when I hang out with them, I feel great. Has anyone got like a great friend, you hang out with them and you feel awesome? It's good to have friends like that. Make sure you stay with friends like that. He says, but when I hang around Bobby, I feel terrible. And I'm not even sure that she knows that she has that effect on me, and I think she needs help. And since I got this email um, this week, I thought we might kind of use that as a bit of an illustration, because I think that we all know a Bobby or two, right? Or we may know a Bob. Reality is, I reckon there's a couple of Bobbies and Bobs in this congregation right now. Anyone? You're not going to admit it, are you? To some extent, we're all a little bit like this. And um, I thought it might be interesting to see actually what's going on with young Bobby. And what we've been doing this year in like Big Church, um, we've been going through these teachings of Jesus. And Jesus has been talking about how he's calling out a brand new people. He's transforming their hearts. And he's actually completely changing us so that the world would know his love, his grace, his compassion. But in so doing, Jesus has actually identified um, what the big issue is, and the issue is exactly what was articulated in that video. The issue is the issue of the heart. Um, Proverbs 27, verse 19. Everyone have a look at this screen. Have a look at this verse. See if you can read that. As water reflects the face, 
so one's life reflects the heart. Who wakes up in the morning and goes and looks in the mirror? You kids don't. Kayla and Jackson, they wake up in the morning and they go look at another piece of glass. It's called a television. (laughs) (laughs) Only on weekends, though. But most of us, we wake up in the morning and we go and we look at a mirror. And mirror is actually a piece of glass. It's a specific piece of glass because it's not a piece of glass where you look through. It's a piece of glass that reflects. And what you actually do, you look at a piece of glass and you actually see the image of yourself, don't you? And it's kind of similar to what this proverb is saying. As water reflects the face, we may not look at water to reflect our face, but in the morning we could actually say, as the mirror reflects your face, in the same way... One's life reflects their heart. So you can tell a whole lot about a person's heart just by checking out their life. That's what it means, you know. So the way that we act, the way that we talk to each other, the way that we interact with people doesn't reflect our face, but it reflects something much more deeper. It actually reflects our heart. And our heart is kind of the core of who we are. That's the, like, the, like, the seat of who we truly are. There's a seat of our true affections of life. It's where we think, it's where our emotions are, it's, it's, where, it's really our true self. So what I thought we might do today is because Bobby's friend has told us a little bit about her life, we might actually see if there is any correlation or is any like, connection between what he said in um, talking about her life and what's going on in her heart. So what well, to do that, I thought I might get some friends. So I might get um, Jackson, seeing that you haven't... Um, Kayla was on the interview. How about you come up? And where's Israel? I wanted to get Israel up. Come on, come on up here. All right, so what we're going to do, we're going to check out Bobby's heart. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> Too bad we're doing it anyway. All right, so this ball is going to reflect Bobby's heart. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to get Israel and I'm going to give you this spoon. This spoon is not for hitting. (laughs) This spoon is for mashing and mixing. Okay, so can you do that? And every time we put something in here, can you just mash it up and mix it up? All right, so you're the big mixer. Israel is known in this um, object lesson as... um, Mix in the pot. There we go. And Jackson is going to help me because we're going to put some things in. So, um, so some stuff's been happening in Bobby's life. She's talking really mean about people. Um, and I think all of us have people who talk nasty and talk mean and put us down and things like that. Doesn't interact um, well with people. In fact, she likes to put people down just to make herself look better. And we've got a lot of people like that. So I'm interested to know what's going on. And as you kind of look into um, Bobby's heart, and if we were able to have a look at that, we'd find certain things. And I think one of the biggest things that we would probably find is a word that all of us are familiar with. It's called fear or insecurity. All of us have fear and insecurities, right? And um, the thing with fear and insecurity... Jackson, have a whiff of that. Does that smell good? Don't get it on you. It is... So I reckon, I got it on Jackson too. That's what you get for being part of the illustration. Never work with kids, that's what they say. So I reckon Bobby's got a good dose of fear in her and 
That actually does smell pretty bad. You guys are lucky. What we might do is actually bring this ball around later so everyone to have a whiff. So Jackson, how about you grab that? And there's some spoons here. How about you just chuck some of that in there with a spoon? And remember, Israel, your job's to mix the pot. Oh, no. Oh, no. You've got to mix it up nicely. So fear and insecurity, what goes through a person's mind is some things like, will anyone actually like me? That's not disgusting. I reckon it needs a little bit more fear. I mean, my goodness, this, this, this girl, she's been acting nasty. She must have a whole lot of fear and insecurity inside of her heart. The thing with, the thing with fear and insecurity... Oh, I'll keep on going. Fear and insecurity, they ask a question not only like, will anyone actually like me? <laughs> hey, you've got to get mixing, man. You can't just get up here and not do any work. Does that smell all right? Anyway, fear, insecurities. Do I even like myself? Really, I mean, someone would actually, like, if they drilled down and were honest enough, they'd actually have to ask, them, do I even like myself? It's not a question. It's not a question, get this. It's not a question of, it's not a question of, am I lovable? No, no, no. Get love out of the equation. It's actually a question of, am I even likable? Fear and insecurity. Fear and insecurity. Um, I reckon another one might be a really, really um, low self-esteem. Somewhere down the track, poor Bobby is actually um, really believes that she's not that smart. She's not that bright. She actually thinks she's dumb. I mean, why else are you trying to put other people down and put yourself up? You know, if you think you're at this level and you think, well, you know what? You're trying to put um, other people down a bit. So let me just, before I give it to you, let me just have a bit of a smell. Just see how that is. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> no one come next to us three. Have a smell. No, have a smell. Oh, <laughs> all right. How about you put a bit of a dose in there, all right? Self-esteem. Oh, no, I reckon she needs a bit... She, I reckon she's got quite low self-esteem, you know? Um, she might have a bit more low self-esteem. Maybe, maybe a bit more. Oh, I'm starting to feel it from here. Low self-esteem. Things going through Bobby's mind. I'm not pretty enough. You can... Did you get some in your mouth? Here's something that happens with um, people who have some low self-esteem. Because they don't think too much of themselves, they try to put the attention on other people. Because if I can put attention on other people, attention's not on me. So I will actually put other people down, I'll talk you down, but the reality is I don't think too much of myself. But if I keep on putting the attention on other people, maybe people won't notice what I really think about me. What else have we got here? Um, oh, we'll leave that one for last. Do you want to swap for a bit? No, no, no. I'm talking to a can. <laughs> no, this is not dog food. This is what you find in a person's heart. <laughs> Anger. Okay. Put that in there. Anger. Something bad's happened to me. Go and put it in. There's probably a bit of anger. All right. 
When someone's angry and they're feeling bad, they don't want you to feel good. Oh, maybe a bit more anger. Very angry. A bit of anger. No, mix it up. You're my master mixer. I'll tell you what, I mean, what's looking in that? So, so there's anger over there. Um, oh, a lot of unforgiveness. A lot of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, I mean, that would kill you like nothing else. That would absolutely destroy you. A couple of weeks ago, we actually we were talking about anger being reconciled and all this kind of stuff. Jesus actually says that whenever you have anger in your heart towards a brother and sister, make sure you reconcile, but don't just reconcile, do it really fast. That's what his teaching was about a couple of weeks ago. Oh, man. What do you reckon about that one? You're not. Come on in. I'll put some over there. So there's a lot of unforgiveness. And here's a really interesting one, everyone. It's called shame. Keep on mixing it. Yeah, that's all right. It's called shame. Now, for the adults, next year, we're going to actually do a little bit of teaching on shame. And I'm going to... Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the anatomy of shame, um, but that's for next year. Um, shame and guilt are very, very different. They are completely different beasts. Shame is something that actually cuts us off from flourishing. The human... Is that looking all right? That's looking nasty. Just wait until I get you to eat it. Anyway... Shame is a very, very interesting thing. It smells good? All right. Give me, give me two minutes to explain shame, and then I'm going to chuck it in the pot as well. Guilt's one of those things where you've done something, and you, are, you, you, you actually turn towards people um, because you know you need to apologize, you need to say sorry. Shame's very, very different because shame is something's happened to you and it's happened to you and it's actually created a narrative in your, ma in your mind. And the difference between guilt and shame, guilt actually turns us towards people in order to say sorry and to reconcile. Shame turns us away from people and any time that someone is actually really occupied and someone is just trapped by shame, they actually need other people to go and get them because they get lost. Shame is very, very different. And shame is one thing that actually cuts off joy, it cuts off creativity, it cuts off imagination, it cuts off everything that actually makes us flourish as humanity. But shame is a really, really big thing. And a shame, shame happens because something has happened to you. Actually, not just one thing, there's many, many things that have happened to you. And because we don't address shame, it actually creates a storyline that we get trapped in. Um, but we'll talk about that um, a bit next year, um, <laughs> teaser for 2022. <laughs> but I reckon there's actually a fair bit of shame. Something's happened to Bobby, and um, it's actually constructed this narrative in her mind, and because she's caught in this narrative in her mind, she's always acting out in the same way. Mix it up. Mix it up. There we go. All right. Okay, what I want you to do, I want you to hold it. Hold it, Israel. Have a look at it. Does that look pretty? 
No. Have a smell. Does that smell good? No, it doesn't. All right, what I want you to do, I want you to take it down carefully and let everyone have a look and a bit of a smell. You can go down. All right. Hey, can we have Proverbs 27 back up on the screen just for a moment? All right. The kids are going to be preoccupied with the bowl. Adults, check out the screen. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. (laughs) I've lost it. This is the big thought I want everyone to take away from this. Come on, Israel, go faster. Move through faster. Can you see this reaction, though? Pay attention to that reaction. Do you? Well, there's something wrong with your thinking right there. Beautiful. So just, just, just from observation, just from observation, did you notice, did you notice that as, just from observation, did you notice that as Israel took Bobby's heart down, right, there was all these different um, responses. The kids were coming around, they wanted to have a whiff, as soon as they whiffed, they went, Did you notice that there was almost like this congregation and then repulsion that happened immediately after that? You know? Now, Israel was actually very, very careful not to spill any of the contents of their heart on the kids. Guess what? That doesn't happen in real life. Because if our hearts are messed up, and the reason, and the way you can tell if your heart's messed up is because your life's all messed up, right? you got a nasty life, you got a nasty heart. Simple as that. I don't need to like get an x-ray like, and actually check out what's happening inside of you. As, as a mirror, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects their heart. But the problem is, as you and I go around with nasty hearts, we bump into people, we interact with people, and the problem is we're not as careful as Israel because the contents of our heart spill over onto other people. That's the issue. Happens every time. Happens all the time. Messy life, messy heart. It was absolutely, let me tell you, it's still stinking up here. And that is precisely the issue that Jesus has come to address and that Jesus has come to fix. There is an issue of the heart because our stinking thinking doesn't just stay with us. We bump into our kids and guess what? Our kids have to wear it. We bump into our friends and our friends have to wear it. We bump into our spouses and our spouses have to wear it. And here's the thing. The people around us can do nothing about that. They're responsible for their hearts. But I'm responsible for my heart. They can't do anything about it. Check out this psalm. Psalm 51 verse 10. David says this in a really low point in his life. He says this. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is the kind of people that we find in Jesus' kingdom. 
we find people who've actually come to Jesus and are absolutely brutally honest before God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They come before God and say, my heart stinks. My life is a mess. And because of my life being a mess, it is bumping and it is spilling onto everyone around me. And not only is it damaging me, it's damaging people around me and it's not actually leading towards their flourishing. But the people of the kingdom of God actually come and actually say, I come to you, Jesus. I need you to transform my heart. I need you to make my heart pure and I need you to make it new. And over time, our hearts, I don't know where Andrew took the heart, but it's the heart gone. Isn't it it interesting? Imagine if that heart was actually a person, right? And it was such a mess. Just, Just imagine that. Because the heart's not here right now. I don't know where it is. Isn't that just a common picture of what we as the church do with messy hearts? That heart's too messy for church. Get out. Wow. Maybe we can do something better. All right. Well, I'm going to come to a close soon because I think I've lost the kids. But Bobby's in a bit of a mix, a bit of a fix. She's in a bit of trouble. But life can actually change, okay? And this message isn't so much for the kids. It's actually more for the adults. Because I dare say all of us have some mess in our heart. And especially as parents, we need to understand and recognize that if I don't actually be honest before God and myself when it comes to my heart, my life bumps into the lives of my kids and it spills over. So it is imperative on myself as a father and as a husband to actually come before God and the first thing I need to do is actually take responsibility for what is happening in my heart. Out of the abundance of um, the heart, the mouth speaks. What are the words that are coming out of us? Above all things, guard your heart, for out of it come the issues of life. If there are issues that are coming out of your life that are not flourishing, that are not actually bringing dignity and actually um, looking after people and bringing safety and security, guess what? There's an issue with the heart. And no one else can do anything about it except for you or except for me. So as far as Bobby's concerned, she needs to take responsibility for her own life. She needs to say, I do not want to live like this anymore. She has to go to God and say, you know what? I need a transformation of my heart because I can't do it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. She would have to go to her friends and people around her, as we do, as Christians, and say those beautiful words, I'm sorry. Have you noticed how that word sorry is so hard to say? But that one word can accomplish more than all the money in the world, all the treasures in the world. You could be like having this absolute ordeal in your marriage, right? And you can say, like, oh, and you can know you're not treating your wife right. And you can buy her all the cars, you can buy her all the jewelry, you can like, send her to all the massages and all that. And you can do all this stuff. And that will not work compared to just simply saying, babe, I'm sorry. That one word overshadows everything else. Because as soon as you release those words, I'm sorry. There are times we have to say to Kayla and Jackson, I'm sorry. Because you know the thing about kids? They know if you have a messy life. And they know you've got a messy heart. 
And there are times when Kayla and Jackson, more Kayla because she likes to get in my face a bit more. She'll point things out and she's right. And at that moment and that time, I have to make a choice. What do I do? Let me tell you, I don't want to say sorry. Not really. None of us really do. But if we're honest, it's like, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. And the other thing that we are to do is to be part of the family of God. Scripture says that we are to have the mind of Christ. Collectively, as the family of God, we have the mind of Christ. If there is a transformation, if there's a renovation, if there is a renewal that needs to happen in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, you are not going to get that by walking all by yourself because collectively the New Testament says you, not like you, but y'all together, we are the family of God. We are the people of God and collectively we have the mind of Christ. So if there is to be a transformation, if there is to be a renovation, it means that we must be committed Unlike the rest of the world, we are to be committed to church family. And again, I can't make you committed. I can only take responsibility for my own life. Let me tell you, we've tried everything in this church. I've tried everything. I've been here over nine years. But I've come to this point. I can't make people do a thing. All I can do is to be faithful to God and to be a witness to what he's asked me to do as Dave Ryder. But as far as New Spring Church, that's on you. But that's how it happens. If you come to this moment in time and you would look at that bowl and say, you know what? I've got a messy life. It means I've got a messy heart. You've got some real fears and insecurities and it is not going away. There is issues of shame and it is not going away. There is anger and it is not going away. Only Jesus can transform your heart. But the way that he does that, through the word, beautiful Holy Spirit, but via his family, healing comes through the family. And that's how he does it. And as he transforms our hearts, guess what? We become a transformed people. And from the very beginning, from the book of Genesis, God has had a very interesting modus of operation. And it is simply this. He says, I will transform the world through my transformed people. Transform people, transform the world. No other way. And he's calling us to be that type of people. Is that all right? Sweet. Let me pray for you. And um, are you guys going to finish with a song or something? Might as well do that. You're going to go up? Going to go freedom? I don't know. What other up one do you have? <laughs> Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for our beautiful kids. And more than that, I thank you for family. That as we're doing this this morning, this is even a greater expression of what you had planned. That we would actually be family. That we would be doing life together, learning from each other, Older generations, younger generations, walking hand in hand, loving each other and showing the world this is what it looks like to be truly human. This is what it looks like to be the true community, the true people of God.
and we will show the world our amazing Jesus by the way that we live. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. How about we stand up? Kids, you want to stand up? Let's dance. Let's worship God.